Dr. David Hanscom. Hi, I'd like to welcome everyone to this episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Uh, today's topic is the chronic pain marriage go-round, and I'd like to uh, welcome Dr. David Hanscom. Thanks, Tom. I'm happy to be here. This has been a very interesting topic for the last couple of years in our practice, and it's turned out to be a very, very powerful part of our practice, but also very fascinating. And uh, you, you, uh, the title you selected was very interesting for this, the Chronic Pain Marriage Go-Round. And could you uh, kind of give us a little bit of a, an overview or insight into how a spouse or partner uh, plays a role in, a, in say, the, the, the experience of your chronic pain patients? Well, it turned out the way human consciousness was formed is by interacting with other humans through language. And so just the evolution of the human consciousness and human condition, why being connected to the people is very, very important. Then the deeper the connection, the better. And so when people are socially isolated, they actually develop the same symptoms as in chronic pain. Conversely, when people are in chronic pain, they also become very socially isolated because they end up going into this abyss of chronic pain. So what happens is that the deeper the connection, the better, but the deeper the connection, the deeper the triggers. So the place that you're most comfortable with and fulfills one of your greatest needs actually becomes one of the most dangerous situations at the same time. Uh, now, could you uh, tell members of our audience uh, what you mean by a trigger? What a trigger means from my perspective is that Every living creature survives by avoiding anxiety. In other words, something that threatens you physically, why every creature takes some type of evasive action to avoid the danger, and then the problem solved, anxiety diminishes. Humans have a problem is that mental threats create the same problem as physical threats. So some, and the problem is the mental threat is processed in the brain the same way as a physical threat. The problem that we have as humans is that we can't escape our thoughts. So when you're triggered, it means it's a survival response. So something upsets you, either a physical situation or a verbal cue, you automatically become anxious or frustrated. That's what we define as a trigger. The reason why it's so critical to understand that is that the triggers are a million times more powerful than the conscious brain. So when you're triggered, it's such a deep survival reaction that you can't talk this stuff out. So what you're so what you're saying then, if I understand it, is is the brain really doesn't know the difference between you know whether you're you're about to be attacked by a tiger or whether you're experiencing some mental anguish that it, it reacts right. the same way and it reacts so fast you can't really you can't really control it just by thinking about it or trying to talk yourself down. Right. Well, and humans have a problem because you have you can have repeated. It. Well, you can have repeated circumstances that are a threat. A boss that yells at you, we'll see in the workers' comp system and have endless adversity dealing with that situation. So it happens where we're in a situation that you're repeatedly under stress, repeatedly activated, your body chemistry stays elevated. But what also can happen is that your brain starts ruminating and obsessing about things that are going wrong. And again, you have this sustained chemical response and the body actually can't tell that difference. So, right, whether it's a mental input or a physical input, whether it's real or imagined mental input, it doesn't really matter. 
the body responds in the same way. So, um, from your experience working with patients, how does this uh, tend to play out in the context of a marriage or a family situation? Well, it came up by it came about by accident. Um, my wife and I and daughter do workshops back east where we put people in a room in a structured situation, and we learn about pain. We share, we laugh, we play. We get really, really relaxed and just have fun. And it's fascinating because because most people in the workshop go to pain free within the weekend. Now, when they go back to their triggers at home, of course, the pain comes back. But at least they had a sampling of what it's like to feel safe. The problem is where you're around your family and get triggered, you actually don't feel safe. So it turns out that once you get triggered by your partner or spouse, then they get triggered back, and it goes back and forth and back and forth. It's like sort of this universal cosmic ping-pong game that doesn't end. Since it's a survival reaction, which, again, is much stronger than the conscious brain, you're just caught in this big, massive ping-pong game that never ends. And since you have to live with your family long-term, the whole process becomes stronger and stronger and stronger over time. So again, it turns out that family is your place of safety and refuge, but also at the same time is an incredibly distressing place for a lot of people most of the time. So what happened in chronic pain is that there's many, many layers to the chronic Hello, David? Hello, David? Hello? David? Hello? 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 Yeah, David, Uh, I think we uh, we got cut off there for a second. You know, a a button got pushed there. I'm sorry. Um, So we should go back. So we can go. Can we edit this, by the way? Uh, Yes. Okay. So let me go back to the family situation. So it turns out that the family situation is actually one of the strongest things keeping people in chronic pain because what happens is that neurons, the scientists have a little saying that neurons that fire together, wire together. So when you're in chronic pain of any sort, why that by definition creates anxiety and frustration because it causes you to take creative, to take evasive action. So when other circumstances create anxiety and frustration, those are linked directly to the pain pathways. So the problem is if you're triggered at home, why it directly links to the pain pathways and people's pain goes up. And the family triggers are so deep that we do all these different medical treatments such as medication, relaxation, et cetera, et cetera. But unless you deal with the family triggers, it just wipes everything else out. There was a study published in 2013, which was very interesting, where they looked at 105 couples over a couple weeks and they measured the patient's pain They also measured the spouse's observation of the patient's pain, behavior such as complaining, complaining, grimacing, or grabbing. Then they also observed the patient's perceived criticism or hostility from his or her partner. So it was fascinating because this happened in all couples. There was nobody that didn't do this. And they made the following observations that basically if a patient grabbed her arm or leg, and they would get a predictably hostile reaction from the spouse, and then the pain would go up for at least three hours after that negative interaction consistently. So how this happened by accident was at this Omega seminar that was put on by my wife, daughter, and myself, is that we shared, we played, we relaxed, but the absolute rule was that you cannot discuss your pain. 
Well, we didn't realize that people in chronic pain discuss their pain all the time. So they're looking for a solution. They're discussing their pain. Probably, I'm just guesstimating talking to patients, that probably 60% of their entire conscious time is spent on their pain. Well, if you look at terms of the brain in terms of neuroplasticity, where the brain changes every second, if your attention is on these pain circuits, that's what's going to develop, get reinforced. So that's why with repetition, chronic pain becomes worse with time, even though there's no further injury. So what happens is that we found out that not only do patients talk about their pain, they actually talk about their pain mostly to their family. The family members become very frustrated and helpless. They, first of all, don't like seeing their loved ones suffer, number one. But second of all, what are they going to do? And there's not much they can do, right? So they're trapped. So they feel trapped and they get frustrated. And then it just really, really destroys the household. And lots of other things happen that we can talk about later. But I saw a headline the other day that said there's 34, the headline said there's 34 million children in this country are exposed to toxic stress in the household. And so you get this unconscious survival reaction going back and forth between the partners or the spouses. It goes on and on and on and no end point. And what I'm finding out just with simple, I'm not a marriage counselor, but we're asking really simple questions about the interactions in the household, and it's brutal. People in chronic pain, they argue, they fight. They've done it for so long it almost seems normal to them now. And so instead of the home being a safe haven, it's actually just pure hell for a lot of these people. And, of course, it makes their pain even worse. So it's really a big problem. But what's exciting about it, so the family dynamics are a very powerful force keeping people in chronic pain. But once people understand the rules, I mean, nobody really wants to suffer like this, particularly for their kids and stuff. So what we found out that as powerful as a force keeping people in the hole of chronic pain, you can flip the switch and it's equally as effective pulling people out of the hole. It's been really, really fascinating. So they, so there are things people can do to kind of break the cycle of pain then? Yeah, absolutely. One part of this equation I want to put back together again, which is really interesting. I went to a course by Dr. David Burns, who's the author of Feeling Good. And I went to his five-day seminar, and he was telling us that he wrote a book about couples based on, the, on his original Feeling Good book. And he wrote the book, and then he tried it out in 50 couples using just basic cognitive behavioral therapy. And when he did his research, he found out that he was O for 50. In other words, of the 50 couples that tried talking it out, doing cognitive behavioral therapy, et cetera, et cetera, none of them survived. So he actually gave the royalty back to the publisher and said, this isn't working. Then he went on a five-year quest to find out what was really going on. And it was fascinating And then he wrote a book called Feeling Good Together, and what he found out is that if your partner or spouse irritates you or frustrates you or makes you angry, what happens is that you first acted in a way that caused them to react, and then you get pissed off at them. So if you get irritated at your spouse or partner, you're the one that started the ball rolling. And it's still hard for me to see that a lot of the time, but he found it consistently. And it was done for me, and again, it's rather sobering and rather humbling, is I'm now much more aware of my behavior and my behavior's effect on other people. And I wish I was perfect, which I'm not even close to, 
But it's been very humbling to realize that things that I do do cause people to react in a way that irritates me. But I'm the one that started the problem, right? So Mm -hmm. what's fascinating about this study with this 105 couples is that, okay, so I'm the person in pain. I grab my arm, grab my leg, and my spouse will react in a predictably hostile manner. And then my pain goes up, right? I know, so I know it's going to happen, but I keep doing it. It's fascinating. So it's almost, it's almost like a, a script that you're, that you just act out almost unconsciously. It's like you're going through a script back and forth. Right. With your spouse. And, and, Right. I mean, it's because the behavioral patterns are a million times stronger than the conscious brain, so the behavioral patterns always win. That's why nobody keeps a New Year's resolution, because it's nice to want to do whatever you want to do, but but that rational idea of doing something better doesn't override the behavioral patterns. And uh, so it it sounds like uh, what you're saying is the first step is awareness. In other words, right. uh, uh, becoming aware, sort of, I don't know, I, I can almost imagine you floating above above what's going on and observing it, having a chance to observe it so that you become aware of how the dynamic is working. Is that kind of what you mean? Well, I think awareness is the ultimate solution to this. That's sort of more of a global picture. I think the first step is actually a little bit more concrete, is that, you have to simply stop discussing your pain. Just stop. And when we talk to our patients, and we're very firm about this, no, no talk about your pain at all to anybody around you except your medical providers. And it's fascinating how many people say, well, what do I talk about? Because people bond on their pain. So they talk to other people in pain. They commiserate. They're miserable, et cetera, et cetera. So you actually bond with people on your pain. But if you want to stay there, you will stay in chronic pain. You can't break out of that unless you make a choice to do that. So that's been fascinating also because it's so difficult for people to stop discussing the pain. So just a very concrete step is stop discussing your pain. And once that cycle gets broken, I mean, people come in for the two-week visit, and they're just really delighted because the spouse, first of all, or the partner, all of a sudden has a huge smile on his or her face. They're very relieved to not have to hear about pain all the time. Because it's not a great thing to talk about. I mean, why spend your conscious energy on discussing your pain, right? And then right. the person in pain is still a little bit off. They don't know what to do yet, but it's a different thing for them. And it does start a process going where it allows them to engage another part of the process. And I think when you're in chronic pain, you're so, you're so concerned about yourself, so focused on trying to find a solution, I think the step of becoming aware of your own impact of your behavior on other people is a, is a pretty big step, and it's a necessary step. And even myself, my own patterns will often still just do what I want to do. I'm convicted of the rightness of my actions. I don't necessarily see the effect of my my behavior on other people. Then, of course, when people react in a way that upsets me, I still don't see it often enough. It's still my personal commitment to a work in progress. But it hasn't been a huge difference for me personally. It's made a massive difference for many of my patients. And I'm telling you, we've never seen people come out of the hole more quickly than we've when we started this stop talk, stop talking about the pain. It's been really interesting. And uh, do they? Uh, how do people? What do they use as uh, conversation starters? I mean, are there techniques you can use? Like if you catch yourself. 
starting to talk about your pain? Um, are there other ways that you can sort of force yourself into a different conversation track? Well, first of all, when you're both calm, you I really say, look, you're not going to discuss your pain, but you also have to emotionally let go of the person's pain. In other words, they say, well, actually, we go a step further and say no complaining because each person gets to own their own pain. So if you're having a bad day at work, don't bring that home either. I mean, it's mental pain. Why bring that into the right. household? I mean, it doesn't really help your quality of life or quality of relationships. So we say no complaining, no grabbing, no pain behavior, no discussing your pain, and just start doing things together that are fun, enjoyable. Solve problems, solve them rationally, and quit fighting about it. Because all of us know you actually never solve a problem in the middle of a fight, right? I don't, I never have. And so, but again, this is sort of this cosmic battle that's not subject to rational control. So what you have to do when you're both calm, you make a decision, if somebody's triggered, that the other person simply has to leave the room. Because a person that's triggered and upset, they're not letting go, right? They're angry, they're frustrated, they're convicted of the rightness of their ways. They're like a pit bull. They're not letting go. So you have to have a predetermined pattern of walking out of the room. Or if a person starts talking about the pain, the other person can just say no. If the other person persists, they can leave the room. Um, but also the other partner is so used to asking about the pain that the person in pain also has to point out, look, this is not helping me to think about or discuss my pain. Because what happens, I ask the people that are asking the questions, are quote, concerned, is you're really hurting that person. You're really putting that person's attention on the pain. You're actually reinforcing it dramatically. It's actually damaging to ask a given person about their pain. So even though I think you're being compassionate and considerate and being concerned about the person's pain, you're actually dramatically reinforcing it. Interesting. Well, that, I think that would be enlightening for most of our readers because it, it seems like our, uh, I know, like in my case, my natural response would be to immediately um, enable somebody in there talking about their pain in exactly the way you describe. And, um, but, but what you're saying is, is actually the other way around. In other words, help the person not talk about their pain and not, Correct. not complain. And it creates, uh, turns the home back into a safe haven. Right. Absolutely. But, yeah, we're excited about it. I mean, again, I just like to emphasize, it's a huge force keeping people in pain, but really a very powerful force pulling people out of their pain pathways. Well, uh, Dr. Hanscom, this has been great and I think very enlightening uh, for our listeners today uh, to learn you know, how pain uh, plays out in the context of a marriage or, or, or you know, a partnership or in, in the family situation. And um, I hope we'll have an opportunity to discuss this in more detail in, uh, in future episodes. So what I'd recommend is that this part of the process, by the way, the family issues have just evolved over the last couple of years. So it's not, not much of this is in the second edition of my book, even though the basis of neurological, the neurological basis of pain is in the book. So I have a website, backincontrol.com, and there's four stages that match the book. And stage one is basically laying the foundation. And then step five is the one step that says, don't discuss your pain or share your pain with anybody. Then right below that, there's a link that says, click this link to begin the journey with your family. 
And that's the part that goes into the whole part of the family and the rules around pain, et cetera. And they're not discussing the pain is really just the starting point. There's many, many layers to this. But go to stage one on my website, backincontrol.com, hit the link that goes to the family section, and you'll see this all presented in a lot of detail. Well, it sounds like a, an excellent resource. And again, I'll remind the listeners, the website is backincontrol.com. Well, again, thank you, Dr. Hanson, and we'll look forward to talking to you on the next episode of Back in Control Radio. Yeah, thank you very much. I enjoyed it. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 